Glad you're with us here this morning. Huge welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. I'm Bob. I have the privilege of being the transitional pastor here during these next two years. It's hard to believe I'm almost finished four months. Isn't it a shock to you? It's a shock to me. We're, uh, we're excited about what God is doing, and God is doing some amazing things. Just a reminder that uh, if you're watching online, welcome to you as well. For those of you that are visiting with us, again, we're just so thrilled that you're here. We trust that you'll experience the presence of God, and that we'll get a chance to connect with you afterwards. And if you're a, a regular attender, as Pastor John said, we're, well, we're glad that you're here as well. And uh, just remember, next Sunday, only at 3 o'clock. We're going to have the service. We won't be having one in the, eve- in the morning. We're looking forward to 3 o'clock. And I want to just bring that to your attention again. The other thing is, some of you heard about a leadership course that's going to be happening in January. I'm going to be teaching that. If you want to know more information about that, you can look at the emails that have just gone out because they have a link to where you can register. And uh, also, you can talk to us out in the information booth at the Connection Center as well. Let's get into God's Word. If you've got your, your insert, just uh, wave it at me just so I know you got one. Okay, good. Look at all those pieces of paper. That's awesome. Early in 1874, an inventor named Elisha Gray transmitted a few musical notes over a telegraph wire. And he thought to himself, if I can send music, perhaps I could send the human voice as well. The New York Times reported predictions of the talking telegraph, and the public grew eager to hear and experience this. One year later, Gray believed that he had the answer. A tin can-like voice chambers connected by a wire in a liquid that could turn vibrations into signals, which is what came into his mind, and however, He didn't put his idea down on paper for two more months. And after finally making a sketch, he waited four more days before he went to the patent office. And when he arrived, Mr. Gray was told that a school teacher had come through the same door two hours earlier with his own sketch, and he'd already applied for the patent. His name was Alexander Graham Bell. Everything was identical when you compared the sketches, the voice chambers, the wire, and the liquid. And we know the name Alexander Graham Bell, and until today, you had never heard of Elisha Gray because one man seized the opportunity when he could, and the other one waited until it was too late. History is filled with wrecks of delay. One moment today may usher in an eternity of regret in our lives. Delay poses such a severe threat to mankind that Christ offered up uh, this parable that we're going to look at today on the danger of being unprepared for Christ's return. Christ didn't, didn't want us to be unprepared for our oncoming guests this Christmas, as we've talked about. And I know... You're all like that, especially at Christmas. This is the last time of the year that you don't want to be prepared. By the way, how many of 
got all your Christmas shopping done. Put up your hand. How many of you wish there were two more weeks? Put up your hand. Yeah. In our Christian preparations, I want to focus on a pertinent principle that you and I need to pay attention to. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we're prepared for it or not, this truth is a reality and it will happen and none of us will be excluded. In your notes, we stand between two great events. You and I stand between two of the greatest events that will ever happen. Today we are celebrating what has happened in the past. That's the advent of Jesus. But there's also the return of the king, and we are in the middle. We're living in the middle. So what do we do? And what are we to understand? If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me or on your, on your uh, phone to Matthew chapter 24. While you're doing that, let me remind you that as you read this gospel, it, it has a slant or a focus unlike the other three gospels. Matthew was a Jewish believer writing to persuade non-Jewish believers to consider that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Now, Matthew 24, verse 3 says this, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This is the beginning of what we call the Olive Discord. Jesus teaching from the side of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount overlooks the east wall of the city of Jerusalem. And it's called the Mount of Olives because, as you may have guessed, it's covered with olive trees and olive groves, so vital to the commerce of Israel. And Jesus gives very crucial teachings here. Let me give you an overview. If you look at verses 34, 35 pardon me, to 44, we see the parable of the thief. And in verse 44, it says, So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you will not expect him. So Matthew is saying to us, be ready. And then if you look at verses 45 to 51, he talks about the parable of the faithful and the wise servants. And in verse 46, it says, It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So the essence of what Matthew is saying here is, Jesus is saying, be faithful. And then we come to chapter 25. That's where we want to look at today, the parable of the virgins. And basically what it says in a nutshell is be prepared. So be ready, be faithful, and be prepared. Now, for us to see the whole picture, we have to understand the Jewish customs of a wedding. Because when we understand that, this gives us an incredible insight into this parable. So let me talk to you a little bit about a Jewish wedding. Follow along if you want in your, in your notes. First part of it, let me go back here just a little bit. As we study this, there are many parts, but let me make it as simple as possible. The groom's father would choose the bride for his son. And we see this in this story in the Old Testament with Abraham securing a bride for Isaac. He sends out his servant to find Rebekah. And here we go. Number one, there's the betrothal. The first step is it legally binds the bride and groom together in a marriage contract. This is called the ketubah. And a young man would, would present it to, his, to the bride and to her father. 
And there's a couple of parts to this. There would be the bride price, which is the price that he would pay for a bride. Now, this was to compensate, friends, the young woman's parents for the cost of raising her as well as an expression of love. <laughs> Can you imagine if she was a med student how much that would be? Then there's the acceptance. If the bride price was acceptable, the groom-to-be would pour a cup of wine for his beloved and wait for her to drink it. Talk about tents. This cup represented a blood covenant. Does it remind you of anything? If she drank it, it was a done deal, and the gifts, etc., were exchanged, and they would be betrothed. And then the young woman would have to wait for him to return. So then there's the second part of it, and that's the chupa. Before leaving, the young man would announce, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will return for you when it is ready. This is symbolized in a Jewish wedding by a canopy or the chupa. Of note, the young man would go back and build a room, and he would not leave to go back until his father approved that room was ready for his bride. No scrimping, no slacking off. It had to be done right. And while this was happening, the bride would make herself ready for his coming so that she would be pure and beautiful. Then she would also wear a veil when she went out into public to indicate to others that she'd already been spoken for through being bought with a price. Then there's the third part, and that's the wedding itself. When the father gave the nod, the man would go collect his wife, and they would do this at any time to provide the couple with an added emotion of expectancy. Every morning she got up, it could be today. It could be today he's coming. And the next day, it could be today. She had to be ready. And it was custom for the bride to keep a lamp and a veil and other things beside her bed. And her bridesmaids were also to be waiting and had to have all of ready for their lights. Someone would blow the shofar when he was almost near to let everybody know to get ready. And then they would return to the wedding chamber for a seven-day honeymoon, and the groom's best friend or best man would wait outside to learn about the consummation. The proof was a blood-bearing bedsheet which represented purity and a blood covenant between them and God. And then there's the fourth part, the marriage supper. Then when the couple came out of the chamber, the party would begin, and the marriage Supper would start. Now, remember what I just shared with you, because when I get a little further on on my message, you're going to understand why I took some time to explain this. The imagery here for us Christians is breathtaking. Think of all the passages of Scripture that you know that describe the coming of our bridegroom. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we're prepared for it or not, the truth is a reality and it will happen and none of us will be excluded from this event. You see, Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church. And Jesus teaches us in these parables to be ready, to be faithful. And here's another truth found in this parable, to be prepared. So now let's go to our passage and let's look at the parable of the 10 virgins. Are you okay? 
All right, let's look at it. Now, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, the number 10 in Scripture represents something complete. How many commandments were there? Ten. Ten. Thanks. Ten. And there were normally ten lamps in a bridal possession. So follow along in your notes here. Look at what it says. At the time of the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, or the shofar would blast. Wake up the whole community. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Now picture this in your mind. The couple has been betrothed. The groom has returned home, and the bride is preparing to be ready. And the bridesmaids, bridesmaids are waiting with their lamps, but he's late. Or at least that he's taking longer than they had planned. But remember, they did not know the time. A young lady busied herself getting ready for a blind date. This was not just a dinner in a movie. Her date had planned dinner in an exclusive downtown restaurant with live music. She wanted to make an excellent first impression, so she'd taken the day off work. And she cleaned the apartment. She went out that afternoon and had her hair done and got a manicure. And when she got home, she did her makeup. She put on her best dress, and she was ready for her date's arrival. His expected rival came and went. But she continued to wait patiently. Finally, after waiting over an hour, she decided that she had been stood up, so she took off her dress, she let down her hair, she put on her pajamas, she gathered her favorite junk food, and sat down to watch TV with her dog. Sometime later, there was a knock on the door. It was her date. He looked at her, surprised, and said these words. What? I gave you two extra hours, and you're still not ready to go? men. How does this parable relate to us? Well, that's a great question. We're like the virgins waiting for the bridegroom to return. You see, Christianity has been waiting for Christ to return since he left in Acts chapter 2. Christianity has been waiting for that and it's recorded in the book of Acts. So how long is it going to be? You see, the world is waiting for this return of the king. For those who've not surrendered their life to the claims of Jesus Christ, when Jesus returns, and he will, we will see in this parable that there is great regret. What are we to do for those who have trusted Christ to be our Savior and that he is, our, that he is going to be our groom? The wedding ceremony has commenced. We will be preparing for his return. Our faith will be tested. Our love and devotion to the one who bought us with a price, the one who said he would prepare room, the symbol of a deep commitment to him. You see, the wedding was a commitment to live for Christ for better, for worse. Notice that in verse 5 it says that the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Well, you underline that. 
They all became drowsy and fell asleep. Friends, going to sleep is not the problem. We all get weary and doze off because it's hard to wait. The trouble is not sleeping. The trouble is the lack of preparation for when the groom returns. And as we discuss, the truth is that we as believers have been called to join a revolution of hope. That's on our watch. That's what we talked about at the very beginning of our series here. How do we keep passionately pursuing this cause of hope when hope seems so distant? How do we keep from losing hope? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't lose hope. Now turn back and say, you look like you could use some hope. What should we do while we wait? Great question. A couple of things. Number one, keep our lamps burning brightly. You see, Jesus said that we're to be salt and light. Here what I want to explain to you is what Jesus meant was that we as believers are to make things better like salt makes things better. And we're to make things brighter like light makes things brighter. So continue on in our story here, verses 7 to 9. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your own oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there will not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Now remember, Oil is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Five women did not prepare. So they, when they were aroused, aroused from their sleep, they had no reserves to replenish their lamps. Now, a couple of thoughts here. One, while living the Christian life, it's not an easy one. To grow in our walk with God requires that we take time not only to acquire the fire, but also to keep the fire blazing in our life. That's why we challenge you to read your Bible and to grow in your faith because if you don't make it a priority, you'll get lost, it'll get lost in the shuffle and when you need the power of God in your life to respond to a problem, a challenge, or a temptation, you're going to be running on empty. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear friends and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior of the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to make our spiritual life a priority even in the midst of the busy season that we're in right now called Christmas. Be about your father's business. But Jesus said to his disciples, remember, this is the parable where he says to be faithful. These words, it would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, put him in charge of all of his possessions. What's that talking about? It's talking about your lamp is your life mission. 
in that parable, he's talking about he was entrusted with treasure from his master. He actually doubled it, and the master said, now you can have more. A young man applied for a job as a farmhand, and when asked for his qualifications, he simply said, I can sleep when the wind blows. This puzzled the farmer, but he took a liking to the young man, and he hired him anyway. A few days later, the farmer and his wife were awakened by a violent storm in the night, and they quickly began to check things out to see if everything was secure. They found that the shutters of the farmhouse had been securely fastened. A good supply of logs were set next to the fireplace. The farm implements had been placed in the storage shed, safe from the elements, and the tractor had been moved into the garage. The barn had been properly locked. All was well. All was well. Even the animals were calm. It was then that the farmer grasped the meaning of the young man's words. I can sleep when the wind blows. Because he prepared. Second thing we need to look at here is we need to keep our lives focused on completing the mission. Sometime in the new year, I'll preach a series called Being a Church on Purpose, and I'll explain more about that later. But back to our story. Look what it says in verse 10 to 12 in your notes. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. What was the, the virgin's mission? To light up the path to the darkness for the bridegroom to come with his, his entourage and follow them. Only those who were prepared could go and enter into the party. For the wedding ceremony, the group would go to the, bride's, or the groom's home, normally his parents' home, and the couple was expected to consummate their marriage that night, but the wedding banquet would last for several days, often seven days. And the new couple would normally stay at the home of their groom's parents, and sometimes it was a room on top of the roof until the groom had secured his own home. But what is our mission to the world? For that answer, we have to go back to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 8, 28, pardon me, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Webster defines a disciple as a pupil or follower of any teacher or school. A true disciple is not just a student or a learner, but a follower who applies what he or she has learned. So thus, a true disciple will ask, what would Jesus do? You're not alone in wondering what this means. The disciples who had spent time with Jesus were puzzled when Jesus told the story later in Matthew chapter 25. Look what it says in your notes. Jesus said to the disciples, they also will answer, Lord, when did, you, did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger and need clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you do, Whatever you do not do for the least of these, you do not do for me. Our purpose, one of our purposes in life is to love God and to serve others. 
And as we come near to the end of 2023, would our motives and actions reflect this purpose if we were to take an inventory of our life, of your life and of mine? This past week was my mom's birthday. And as I was reflecting on her life and thanking the Lord for her, I remember asking her a question when I was a teenager. Every person that she talked to, she talked about Jesus with. Every person. And as a result of that, many people came to Christ because she would always share her testimony. And I said to her, I said, Mom, why do you have to witness to everyone you see? As a teenager, it was embarrassing. I'll never forget her answer. Because she had just shared the gospel again with one of the ladies that she worked with. She said these words to me. I'll never forget them. She said, I don't want to get to heaven and have any of the people that I worked with look at me with tears in their eyes as they perish in an eternity without Jesus and have them say to me, you knew Jesus and you didn't tell me? She said, I don't ever want to have that. I want my light to burn brightly as long as I have breath. She said she knew her life mission. We need to let our light burn brightly this Christmas. We need to keep our lamps burning brightly. We need to keep our lives focused on completing the mission. And we need, thirdly, to keep our eyes watching for the next Advent. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the hour or the day. Pastor John did a great job explaining this a couple of weeks ago in our series on the, our roots discussing Christ our Savior, or pardon me, Christ our coming King. See, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. We're just like the virgins. We don't know when. And by the way, if somebody tells you when they know he's coming, don't listen to them. If God didn't tell Jesus when he was on earth, he certainly isn't going to tell you or me. Jesus said there, there would be signs, but the Apostle Paul saw them when he lived and thought Jesus would come back before the end of his lifetime. You may be asking, Bob, why do we spend so much time discussing a Jewish wedding? It's a great question. Now review the details that I just shared with you at the beginning of the message. The son went back to his father, prepared a room. When his father said it was okay, his father, the son was going to come back to get his bride. Now, in your notes, it's not your notes, just listen to, to uh, me share some passages of Scripture that you know so well in John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, I would have tell you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. And you know the place where I am going. Revelation tells us that there's going to be an incredible marriage supper of the Lamb where we're going to feast 
where we're going to rejoice because the bridegroom, which is the church, is going to be, or the bride, which is Jesus, and we're going to have a party. You see, when I read these words in John chapter 14, it sounds like wedding music to me. Coach John Wooden said, when the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. Are you prepared? Are your loved ones, your co-workers, your friends? This Christmas may, may be the opportunity for family and friends and neighbors to share the reason for the season, and that's Jesus' birth. Bring them to our Christmas Eve service at 3 o'clock next Sunday. Allow them to hear again, maybe for the very first time, how much God loved them by sending his son. Because it's our time. We need to be found faithful. We need to be found obedient. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Will you pray with me this morning as the worship team comes? invite you just to take a moment bow your head and ask the Holy Spirit what is it that you want me to do with what I've heard from your word today Father in heaven, we anticipate your sending back your son very soon. We want to be ready. We want to be faithful. And we want to be prepared for that incredible moment. Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth. You were born in a manger, born to live and die that each one of us could have a relationship with the Father for eternity. The Holy Spirit, fill us, equip us, empower us to be salt and light, to make things better and to make things brighter this Christmas. Lead us to those who are not sure of their relationship with you. Open doors. Start conversations. Grant us favor. And may this Christmas be a real turning point in the lives of hundreds of people in our sphere of influence. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can just say, Jesus, I want to know you. 
And I want to have that kind of relationship that Bob's talking about. He will meet you. He'll speak to you. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts and minds this morning about your amazing love and the amazing privilege that we get to have to live in this day and age, to be messengers of the light and to point others to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.